You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, worked, and ministered in small, out-of-the-way places. I am your host, Joe Epley, and this week, as well as next week, we get the amazing opportunity to interview Alan Stanton, who is uh, the author of a book called Reclaiming Rural, and uh, you're going to get to jump into a delightful conversation. His life so far has been a mix of academia as well as uh, community development and pastoring, and he has such a huge heart for seeing the rural church thrive. And so at the end of this intro, we're just going to dive right into the conversation. We're looking forward. We hope you tune in both this week and next week and check out this amazing resource. So let's uh, listen in. Well, today, as you may have heard in the intro, we are here with Alan Stanton. He is the author of a book called Reclaiming Rural, and it is uh, an incredible book that I had the pleasure to read and now have the pleasure to recommend. And so, uh, Alan, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing really well. It's uh, We're recording this on a Friday, which is really nice. So yeah. I'm excited for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, nothing like ending a week with a, with a good conversation about something you're passionate about. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the first thing I like to do is just help people get to know who we're talking to. Uh, you know, you know how rural goes where it's, it's a, you know, we want to know people. And so uh, why don't you give us just a brief kind of description of where you've been and what you've done and uh, kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, I grew up um, in a rural town of about 5,000, which in the Southeast, that's like a tiny town. If you go up to yeah, for sure. you know, like North Dakota, like that's not really a small town, right? That no, still <laughs> so qualifies, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all contextual. But in, uh, so I grew up in this small town called Nashville, North Carolina. Um, it was the original Nashville. So I live in Tennessee, oh, sure. which people really balk at, but whatever. And I, my whole goal as a kid was to get out of Nashville, right? Um, didn't want to live in a rural place. And I remember going like, I'm never coming back here. Went to college. I really thought that I wanted to go to law school, but then I sensed this call to ministry. And somebody said that Duke Divinity, which is where I ended up going to seminary, had a, a rural ministry fellowship where if I really? agreed to do that, they would pay for me to go to school for and do my master's for free. But I would wow. have to serve a rural parish for five years. And I thought like, absolutely not right (laughs) (laughs) um, but then I looked at we had our I mean this sounds really bad but like this is how it happened right Um, we had a student loan exit interview and I went to a very expensive undergrad and uh, I was like you know maybe a full scholarship for five years isn't that bad and what I ended up learning in in that process was um, I got to seminary and I started hanging out these rural places and I was like oh no, this is who I am. Like this is yeah. in my DNA. And um, I've always really been inter- interested in the intersection of churches and policy, right? Public policy and, and community development. And I kind of realized that rural churches have a unique capacity to um, have a really meaningful change in their areas and their and their communities. And so I became really passionate about the rural church and fell in love with the rural church. So that kind of became my whole life. I worked for a, a 
brief stint at a public policy think tank in Raleigh that was working with rural churches on how to do community engagement. Left there to actually pastor a rural church because I sure. realized consulting rural churches without having ever pastored a rural church was kind of weird. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. It's a good, like a good, good light bulb moment where you're like, I should probably do this actually. Right. <laughs> and I love that. Um, thought I was going to be there for a long time. And then I got a call one day that uh, there's a small college in Tennessee they had a center that was working with rural churches, but they wanted to pivot to do rural churches and community development in rural areas. It was a small Methodist school. And so I didn't think I'd get the job, but I thought it'd be a fun interview experience and then got the job. So we moved <laughs> to Tennessee. Um, my life is a series of those kind of things, right? <laughs> like, right, right. You're like, I didn't mean to end up here, but I ended up here. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, and so then our, our college was acquired by the University of Tennessee um, during COVID. So I ended up working in the University of Tennessee system. And I was like, well, I mean, is this really what I want to be doing? So I got a phone call one day that the College of Dentistry of all places at the University Health Science Center in Memphis uh, had a large grant to work on rural oral health care. And wow. they needed some of the understood rural communities and community development. And I, um, we were kind of in a place where we were like ready for a change. So I ended up in Memphis of all places. And yeah. So I work at the College of Dentistry now, but I also am still ordained at the United Methodist Church. And um, it kind of ties into my ministry quite, I mean, in my brain, at least it ties in quite well. So I work with all these communities all over Tennessee. And then I also get to teach and work with colleges. Uh, I have an appointment at the University of the Ozarks as a fellow in their uh, rural ministry initiative. So I work with rural pastors and rural churches in Arkansas. Um, and then I teach all across really the Southeast working in churches in North Carolina. And I've worked in Virginia and Georgia and done, you know, webinars and stuff all over. So it's really kind of a fun, unfamiliar life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. I think you and I were joking before this recording. I'm just like, yeah, that's not really a, it's not really a hundred times I hear that story. It's a very unique, right, unique yeah. setup. I, I love that my life doesn't make sense. And um, that's where I really just am trusting that God is sorting all this out. So because <laughs> I hope I hope somebody has this in control. <laughs> Right, right. And honestly, what a unique story. And uh, I love hearing your perspective. And it's it's kind of cool. You know, I, I am also like academically minded. And I love when we get those broad sweeps of the church. You know, you, you get a, a perspective that's not just, man, I pastored one or two local congregations, but you are working and seeing these uh, good or bad principles of rural play out over and over and over. And so, oh, yeah. um, and obviously added to your list is you are a published author, which is why we're talking about your book today. And uh, so what I, I guess I want to do is just, uh, you know, obviously I'm going to recommend, you know, both now and at the end of this interview for everyone to go buy the book because it's uh, it's awesome. And we'll have a link to it in our show notes. Um, but what I want to do with this interview is just dive into some of the things that stuck out to me, some of the things that I really thought were awesome in the book. And so um, I think we'll just jump into that if that works for you. Yeah, sounds great. Perfect. Well, let's start out uh, right at the beginning. Good place to start. But uh, in the introduction, uh, you mentioned kind of this frustration you had, and it was probably part of the uh, you know impetus for the book. But you mentioned that that there's people who have written off the rural church, and and that kind of is in this internal frustration. I'm sure a lot of our listeners share that. Uh, but also, you know, you mentioned that you were frustrated with people who kind of had settled for less within the rural church because I think we've seen both extremes. But but why do you think it's important for pastors to to avoid both extremes? And maybe what you know, what what are those extremes like? Like what are we trying to avoid here, you know? Yeah. So on the one hand, rural places are full of nuance, right? There's this joke in community development, and it's not really a joke. Um <laughs> that if you've seen one rural community, you've seen exactly one rural community, right? Right, right. So yeah, you know, every rural place is just 
different. And so on the one hand, sometimes we like to flatten those communities. And so we assume they're either places of like just imminent decline and despair and lots of poverty. Like I have a slide deck that I show when I'm working with groups and I literally just Googled rural America. And oh, I, really? the first three or four images that came up. Right. And so like on the one hand is this really idyllic thing of like, you know, I have a picture of a little girl petting a sheep, right? And people are like, oh, yeah, rural sure, places yeah. are full of wonderful virtue and values. And everyone's just like connected with each other and really nice and all that. And that's somewhat true. Um, and then the other extreme is like, oh, yeah, rural places are just, it's a picture of it. Like I Googled rural and a picture of a shack came up, right? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's, like yes. it's the boondocks. Shack. It's poverty. It's decline. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, you know, there are rural places, there's things about rural places that I really love, which is they have a strong social network, like you have strong relationships. Um, some rural places are, is, you know, impoverished and full of decline, but not every community is the same. And when you adopt one of those narratives, you either say the rural church doesn't need me because it's just this place of like love and hope and virtue. And I don't want to mess with that. Or um, the rural church is full of decline and I can't help it. And mm. there's nothing that's worth happening there. And so either one of those means like we're going to pull out. Right. And so what I want pastors and, and lay people and, and denominational officials to realize is like these rural churches are full of potential. We wouldn't do that sort of, you know, crass, non-nuanced approach to like an urban or suburban church. Uh, we would go in and say, like, what's unique about this? And so I want people to go into rural places and to say, what are the particular challenges of this community? What are the particular strengths of this community? And what can this rural community do that no other community could do? And right now, I think in our current society where we're seeing more and more people disengaged from the church and we're seeing um, the church play a very different role. I think small rural churches are poised to be a really great example of what it means to be a vital, faithful congregation. Wow. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I like that. I like I've heard that applied in other places, you know, with people's stories. But yeah, when you've seen one rural church, you've just seen one. Uh, what a powerful approach and what a powerful mindset. I would hope that anybody could could glean from that. Well, let's uh let's keep walking through this. So you you talk about how, and this kind of plays off that, but you talk about how you get a lot of pastors who enter their communities with more like broad assumptions instead of knowing their community specifically. And so even though we touched on a couple of them, let's dive a little deeper. What are some of those broad assumptions a pastor may carry and how did they start breaking that down because there are a lot of pastors who come from rural and stay in pastor and rural, but there's a lot of people who step into rural from the outside. And often um, there's a high wall of misunderstanding. And so what are yeah. some of those, what are some of those pictures that we have to then break down and, and where should we be arriving to, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of, I think it's particularly true in our national media, right? And I think this goes back to the fact that we don't have a solid definition of what it means to be rural. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, you can go into a room and you can say, like, what does it mean to be rural? And you'll get a ton of different answers. And I used to give out a prize for the first person who said cows. Like that was always. Yes. The yeah. I guess the iconic. It's like it's it's very Kansas Midwest. It's just like that is it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, in downtown Brentwood, which is a suburb of Nashville, there's a farm that has cows in the middle of the suburb. Right. And wow. that's decidedly not rural. Right. So like, does that actually make it rural? So there's all these things like every rural community is full of farmers. They all have a certain political persuasion. They're all white. You know, they're all poor. And none of these things are really true. I mean, about every community. So like, there are some really conservative rural places. There are some really progressive rural places. There are some rural communities that are full of, 
you know, farmers. There are some rural communities like the one I um, moved away from that were full of manufacturing. Like most communities in Tennessee, rural places in Tennessee are full of manufacturers. There are some rural places out in the West Coast and in the mountains of North Carolina that are really driven by ecotourism, right? So like every rural place just looks different. And what happens is I think people either say, I grew up in a rural place or I've seen a rural place or visited a rural place. So I understand what this is. Or I've watched a rural place on a movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, I watched Hillbilly <laughs> Elegy. So I know a lot about yes. it. I know a lot about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about that book, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what's fascinating to me is like, okay, you don't make these assumptions about cities, right? right? So even cities in the same state, like even if you've never been to Nashville, Tennessee or Memphis, Tennessee, in your head, you know that they're different. Yeah. Right? And you would honestly like the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh, Memphis, what do I know about Memphis or Nashville? What's unique? Like you're always trying to highlight, oh, Nashville is, yeah, the city of music or Memphis is uh, also a city of something. And you know, I don't, I don't know about right, right. Memphis, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, or, or Detroit, you know, you, you have these certain mentalities of what pops up but rural it's just like one broad brush right and so i mean if you're gonna if you're not gonna make that assumption about like you know no one assumes that tampa and new york city have the same culture right (laughs) so why would you assume that rural the mountains of rural north carolina and the mountains of rural montana are gonna have the same culture like they're just Mm -hmm. not um so the first thing i think is like just walk into the situation and say like i don't know these places right i've even if I grew up in a rural place, like I don't know this particular rural place. Mm. Um, and then I tell pastors all the time, like, just go send, spend, you know, your first several months just getting to know people like like you would in a city. Like, you're going to go see all the different places. You're going to go experience things like go sit in the local diner and just sit. Right. Go yeah. sit in the coffee shop and just sit. Have pointless cups of coffee. Go to town council meetings. Right. Like, yeah. figure out the unique things about your particular community instead of just saying like, Oh, I've been in a rural place. I know the rural place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, I think that's really powerful for both aspects because again, if I'm, if I'm an outsider, then I have my own unique problems of perception to overcome. I mean, that was yeah. my story is, is I came from the largest place in Montana to one of the smallest and Montana is still rural no matter where you go, but you know, it was a culture shock and and yeah. I had to go, man, how can I overcome you know, this perception of rural, but also you're right. If you, if you grew up in Midwest rural and you go to coastal rural, or if you grew up in Southern rural and you go to Northern rural, it's, it is different. And you might have your own set of barriers just from saying, well, I've been here before. I know what to expect, you know? Right. And like, you know, in my denomination, we're appointed to congregations. And so a lot of times is, um, and I see this in a lot of congregations, right? Especially if you're younger and you're starting out in parish ministry, um, you might end up in a rural small church. Oh, really? It is it is denominationally ingrained as like the stepping stone community. Right. And you might not have ever lived in that place. Yeah, <laughs> that's so fair. You come in and you're like, I know these people, right? And so one of the things that I, I see a lot is pastors who grew up in an urban or suburban area, went to school in an urban or suburban area, went to seminary in an urban or suburban area. Then they wind up in a rural church and it immediately becomes like this me versus them mentality. Sure. And it's part of that is because like they're just bringing in all these assumptions about the community that may or may not be true, but they're not taking the time to to figure that out. Right. They're just saying like, 
this is what rural is. And I, I remember a dude spent all this time in a place in Florida that was like predominantly fishing and manufacturing. Right. Sure. And he had all these like agriculture metaphors and people were like, that doesn't make sense here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're just like, you were so close, but really not at all. <laughs> you yeah. Gosh, that's so good. Well, uh, no, that's a, that's a really great perspective. And I really love, I hope we can all kind of glean wherever our barriers come from. So uh, another thing I want to talk about is, is often as pastors, another thing that we encounter in the rural church is we come at it with a false sense of metrics of success or failure. Um, you mentioned using relationships as a metric in small membership churches. Um, one, I would love to know what you mean by that, because obviously I got to read the book, but if someone hasn't, uh, but even like I was really um, excited and kind of refreshed to read your conversation where like likability is like uniquely affected in like a rural context like 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 even sometimes versus your own skill set like likability still somehow becomes this metric and so walk us through both of those like when we talk about relationships as a metric or likability versus kind of the skills you have how do these things play out in how a rural church responds to their pastor and how a pastor should you know again be be measuring their win yeah so first i'm going to say something that will get me in trouble i'm sure and that <laughs> is um participation by itself is just a terrible metric, right? Like, Oh, it, sure. Yeah. It doesn't measure anything. <laughs> like there's a reason when you go to school, you have to take a test, right? You like participation is 10% of your grade, but like the assignments are 40% of your grade, right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, but we like to measure in the church average worship attendance and we're like, yes, this is yeah, probably our, our most common metric is how many people showed up, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> You know, let's reframe it and make that 10% of our grade. So, um, yeah, in small churches, one, if average attendance is the thing that you're trying to measure, you're not actually going to figure out, you know, anything about meaningful about the congregation. So you're not looking at like, are they learning anything? Are they applying anything? Are they, you know, are they growing in their faith? Are they not growing in their faith? So that's one side of it. It's like, let's get past this. But then the other side of it is remembering that small rural churches just function differently than large urban churches. And they're relational in nature. Like the pastor sits at the core of the congregation instead of sitting at the top of it, right? Where you have like this hierarchy, the pastor sits at the core and is just connected to everyone else. Mm. And so almost everything that you accomplish as a pastor in a small rural church is going to be because of the relationships that you build. And that can take a lot of different approaches. So like, I remember in my early like SPRC evaluations, there was this question of like, did we like him, right? Like you were talking about the likability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was almost the only thing that people cared about was like, do do I like them and do they like me? And that's good to a point because it means like I have built trust with them. Right, right. <laughs> um, but then you have to figure out like, what do I do with that likability, right? Because they're not actually caring about my skill set. Like they don't really care if I know how to balance a budget. Like they'll compensate for that. What they want to know is that I'm invested in the community. And once they know that, then I can start using these relationships and not like in a utilitarian. No, 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 not you. Yeah. People are are the end. They're not the means to the end. But again, you, you, it's almost like you've, you've gotten deposits. Like how are you going to cash in on those relationships to move things forward? Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, almost every major decision in a rural church is made in a parking lot over coffee or at dinner, right? Like, yeah, 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 that's for sure. <laughs> so you can have the meeting all you want, but where decisions really got made for me when I was a pastor and like still in the rural churches I go to now is like, it's over dinner. 
at somebody's house or over Sunday lunch, right? So those are the ways that I want to bring about change. And the only way you can do that is if people know that you are invested in their lives. Um, it's not going to happen because you came up with a great strategic plan. And it's certainly not going to happen because you increase average worship attendance. It's only sure. really going to happen because people like you and care about you. Yeah. And uh, and what a challenge. I mean, I love when you said, hey, we got to move this to 10% of our grade. Like, great to, to see who's coming on Sunday. It's probably healthy to at least be aware of. Um, but I, I am just floored by, you know, how central that really does become, because again, uh, there's so many good skills that can be overshadowed by a lack of relationship. Like, I mean, you can be an incredible vision caster. You can have incredible strategic planning. You can be an incredible preacher. I mean, you know, there's just so many good skills you may have, but if you don't have the relational credibility, it, 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 it almost like doesn't matter as much, you know, it almost just ceases to be. You know, like, uh, cool, you're, you're very talented, but, but yeah. you're just not connecting. You're not hitting, you know? So my grandma told a story about the church that my mom grew up in. Right. And I was asking her one day, I'm like, Hey, why did you end up going to this new church? Like, why did you end up going to Nashville Baptist instead of like the free will like Baptist church? Sure, yeah. And her answer was, um, your grandfather, the pastor was a really good preacher, but after church, he would just walk out the back door and not shake people's hands. Ooh. Right. Like that was the whole reason. I think my heart that. actually stopped a little bit. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Sounds yeah. terrible. I mean, and this is like, you know, the 1960s, but like I it just matters. It, it, yeah. it you can have all these questions about like, should that matter or not? Like, should it, but like sure, yeah, yeah. is this right or wrong? But it does, yeah. Yeah. Um, because what your pastor was saying to them is like, I don't I don't care about you, right? Mm. Um, I'm not part of your community. So wow. Well, uh, let's focus uh, on this one was actually my, one of my favorite questions to ask, because I, I love when someone has that hot take where I'm like, whoa, chill out. <laughs> you know? But uh, but most pastors are told as a as a rule, you know, they say, hey, focus on young families. And this is a good measure of growth and vitality. I mean, I even used it recently when someone said, well, what's the church in Baker like? I said, well, good news is a lot of people are having babies. So I think our church is in a healthy place. You know, like it's part of how we measure that like, you know, our church is growing because there are young families, young kids, they're the future of the church. And obviously, no one's going to really argue that that's a good, generally like a good thing, you know, to look at. Yeah. But are there any context where telling a pastor to say, hey, focus, you know, a lot of your energy on young family is is bad or maybe not bad, but even like worse advice or ill-fitting advice? And what should pastors do instead? Yeah, that this is my hot take. This is. Yeah, I love it. I actually, I really, when I read this, I was like. Let's go, you know, because I just got off the phone and we'll talk about it. But I I had just gotten off the phone when I read this chapter in the book with a, a young youth pastor who's in a community where the age demographics were just way different. And so I read this and I was like, there it is. So go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, this is great. Um, Because this is when like I I get more emails about this one than I do anything else. <laughs> so, yeah. OK, so. Youth and young adults are great. Let me let me start by saying that. Yeah, like, just clear the air. You know? Clear the air before I say this. I was I worked as a youth pastor, like in my last. I was volunteering as a youth pastor. My last stop is great. Whatever. All right. There are a lot of rural places where the fastest growing demographic is recent retirees moving into that community. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And I want to let churches know, like that's not a scary thing. Mm. Um, and it, we already know this in like economic development, right? Um, so right. a ton of communities now are focused on cultivating opportunities for the recent retirees moving to their communities, like through entrepreneurship or small business support. Like you have this 
whole second half of life, how do you want to use it in our community? And what happens in a lot of places is that we tell pastors, no, you don't want to focus on that demographic because they're aging. But in rural places, um, these people are coming into your community with new ideas. They're coming in with higher disposable income. They have more expertise. They have more time to volunteer. They want to be there. And we are basically ignoring them for people like me who have a lot of student debt. I have a full-time job. I have two young children, which means that I am on my way to bed after work by eight o'clock, right? Like, I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. volunteer. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, not, it's not a thing. So what I like to tell churches is like, look, if youth and young adults are the fact, like, if they're the growing segment of your community, by all means, like, go and work to, to try to bring them into your congregation. Right. But if they're not, and the fastest growing segment of your population is recent retirees, then if you're not reaching out to them and focusing on a demographic that doesn't exist in your community, you are not being a good steward of the people and the resources that God has put in your congregation, in your community. And you're certainly not being incarnational, right? Because you're right. ignoring the people around you. And I, I've seen churches like, I mean, a friend of mine pastors a church in the mountains of North Carolina. And I use North Carolina a lot because I'm from there. Yeah, um, sure, sure. I use Montana a lot. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> But like his, the population percentage, I don't remember. I think I mentioned it in the book, but like it was something like, like 30 some percent over 10 years. Yeah, some insane population. Yeah. yeah it's just like this growth is, you know, it's just skyrocketing. Yeah. And what that particular congregation had was um, they call them halfbacks, which is not like a derogatory thing. It's people that move from New York to Florida, then halfway back because Florida was too hot. Right. Right. The classic. So, yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all these people are buying up like expensive houses, have high disposable income. Like they want to come to his church and the denomination is like, no, you have to focus on youth and young adults, which is a shrinking demographic in that community. Right. And I'm like, that's stupid. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. like why would you focus on a population that doesn't exist and ignore the population that does, mm. right? Like that doesn't yeah. make sense to me. So yeah, the pushback I always get on this is like, but won't eventually those people die. Um, and the answer to that is like, sure, but like, eventually I'll also be a senior citizen, right? Yeah, exactly. Like at some point, <laughs> I mean, well, there's yeah, always like, new senior citizens. <laughs> like I was talking to a pastor over lunch the other day, actually, and we were chatting about, uh, just different ministries you find in churches. Cause his church has a unique flavor within our Pentecostal denomination. He's very like Holy Spirit focused, Holy Spirit driven. And even amongst uh, like a Pentecostal church where that might be considered the norm, um, you know, he's very passionate about it. And so that's that's great. Um, but we were talking about uh, just how, how I think as pastors were taught that your church as a local body should always look balanced. You know what I'm saying? So in, in your one local church, you're going to want multiple age groups and you're going to want intergenerational, which is great. But if we consider the body of Christ by definition as maybe the community-wide church or even the statewide or even global church, yeah. then we start to recognize that like if you have a church that is stewarding ministry to yeah 55 plus or 40 plus or whatever, then you are just as valuable in your almost you know over-focus on that demographic if that means you're reaching the world around you well, because someone else is going to be reaching youth and young adults probably, yeah. you know, that's, I mean, I ran the only youth group in town, but we didn't have, you know, but there was a kid's program that was really taken off at the Baptist church. You know, it didn't, didn't matter, you know, that, that we didn't have the best of both, you know? And so I, I just echo, you know, what you said there. I think it's really powerful. And that's a really good point about like the broader community, right? Cause I, Anglicans do this really well. Like the Anglican 
North North American England. I can't remember the whatever exact. it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, not the Episcopal Church. The the other English. Right, the other one. Yep. Um, so they do a lot of church plants, right? And what they do is get a church to be about a hundred people, and then they'll take like half of that congregation and say, "You're now going to go start another oh wow small church plant." And so they're growing the church, right? But they're not growing a specific congregation. Right, right. And I think like that's a really good mindset for us to keep in mind. Like we're not about the business of like a particular congregation. We're about the kingdom. We're about right. like, the whole church. So, you know, if my church is really focused on this segment, like you were talking about, like that's a great and beautiful thing. Like let's keep right. it up. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed the first part of this conversation with Alan Stanton. As we know, he is the author of Reclaiming Rural. Uh, the info to actually buy the book at a discounted price is in the show notes, as well as links to uh, his email and the book itself. And so we hope you check those out. But most importantly, we hope you come back next week to see the second half of this interview. It's just chock full of great information. As always, our hope is that we speak right to the heart of Rural Church. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as www.ruraladvancement.com. For this week, I have been your host, Joe Epley, and we will see you next week. Mm -hmm.